0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Crick House. Today I have my sister Ariel with me. Um, we are sat as normal in the middle of our lounge on our dining table. So if you hear dogs and people moving around, welcome. You are in the epicentre, the heart of The Crick House. Um, so so here, we, here we are. So today we are going to be talking about Ariel's testimony, which we alluded to in our very first ever podcast. Dun, last, dun,
1: dun, exactly.
0: Last time we heard my mum's testimony, so if you haven't heard that yet, that was released a couple of weeks ago, go and have a listen to that. Um, But today is Ariel's turn and she's going to share an incredible testimony that has led her to start a lot of new things in her life and a lot of new passions, one of which is coming into fruition just now. Um, And by the time this podcast releases, she'll be well in the thick of setting up. But we'll hear a little bit about that later. Um, Let's jump straight into your testimony, Ariel. So... Tell us, where did it all begin?
1: Okay, good question. First of all, um, you're going to have to help me piece my memories together for this, because I was eight when it happened, and I'm conscious for most of it. So this is very vague memories, and Noah's now licking my sherbet love hearts. Um, Very vague memories and pieces that I can remember from what people have told me. Um, But first, a bit of context. Context? Context. Context. context it's like saying specific and pacific does anyone else out there say pacific instead of specific, specific. or say tai instead of tsunami that's just you that's just me i say it like it's typed okay anyway so i'm ariel i am the only girl in the crick household i'm coming up 20 this summer and anyone who knows me knows i'm a dancer i was trained in classical ballet um for many years and i've been dancing for as long as i can remember I actually don't remember a time when I wasn't involved in a dance school. Some of my earliest memories are wearing a pink leotard dancing while Noah was in football in Harpenden.
0: That's right, yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, I do.
1: Okay, so dancing has been my life. And it got to the stage where I was becoming a competitive dancer. And for all those out there who do not believe ballet is a sport... It is. It is. I've learned that the hard way. I competed. I used to go to London and do competitions for dance, and Mm. that was amazing. Um, But there was a time when it appeared that the dream I've always had of being a dancer and dancing on the stage of the nations and teaching other kids to dance looked like it would never come into fruition, never happen. So you would have heard earlier on in a different episode, my mum's testimony, that the medical condition my mum has, all us kids have. And a part of this is sometimes our joints ache and hurt. And eight year old Ari had leg ache one day. And I'd had this a lot growing up as a kid. And, you know, we just put it off as, Mm. um, oh, it's okay, just like take some painkillers, have a wheat bag, sit down, it'll be fine. Just normal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it didn't, and it wasn't. Um, It actually got so bad that we had to go see um, the doctor and see what it was. And the doctor was like, we're not sure, um, but just stay in overnight just to be sure. And little eight year old Ari.
0: This was at the big county hospital. Oh, yeah, this was at
1: the Surrey like the main the main thing where people mm-hmm. go for surgeries and stuff. Um and of course being an eight year old, I did not want to stay in hospital overnight by myself. Um it's pretty daunting. So we went home. But that night it 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 went I don't even know no. I can just remember not walking the pain having to crawl along the floor to get to the bathroom and just the burning sensation in my right leg. And it was awful. And that's all I can remember from that night. Um, and then the next morning, Oh yeah. And my fever, I had fevers, major Mm -hmm. fevers, like spiking really hard, unnaturally high. um, And then the next morning, I was taken into hospital again because of the pain and the agony and the fevers. That's right. And I was rushed down into emergency surgery.
0: Which is where you became unconscious.
1: Yeah, which is where I became unconscious. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sedation, you know, that jazz. Um, Now, I always thought this was the second part, second surgery that this was said to my parents. But I found out the other day, it's actually the first surgery. Um... The doctors weren't aware um, of what it was. They just knew it was a really bad bone infection. Mm. And they said to my parents, one of three things is going to happen. If we don't um, operate now, she's either going to lose a leg. This is my right leg. Um, Die. Or at the very least, have to learn to walk again. And if there's any dancers out there listening, as a dancer, you will know it's very hard to dance without your right leg. Especially if it's <laughs> your main turning leg. It was, it was the one I turned on most on. And
0: it's one thing to have two right feet. Or is it saying left foot?
1: It, uh, I was going
0: to say it's one thing to have two right foot no, it's, feet.
1: No, you've got two left feet.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if you, it's one thing to have two That's a really right bad, feet. No, that doesn't work. And then having no right feet at all. But it was the left foot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Everyone,
1: everyone. is a witness to your epic dance joke fail. Never mind. Um, and if you're dead you can't <laughs> dance either that's true and if you're learning to walk again that's rehab for a really long time so that postpones dance for a really long time yes it so does. any of these options was
0: a bad option
1: yeah um so yeah that's where the doctors kind of left it and i came out of surgery and they said they would got the infection out um they said it was a deep bone infection not sure what mm-hmm. it was yet um and i was in hospital overall for two and a half weeks and straight after surgery, I went onto the children's ward. Yeah, like it's, it's, all slowly yes, yes, yes. it's all starting to slowly come back to me. It's all starting to come back to me. I was put onto the children's ward. And at the same time, there was another girl who had similar issues going on. And they were also looking into what she had on the ward. Um, and obviously, uh, I had blood tests taken constantly. Mm. and if anyone has a a catheter catheter yeah it's like the main one that goes into main blood artery all the time and because of those i was often under sedation but i think one of the coolest things ever is the doctors said what's in a child's heart when they're under sedation is what's going to come out Mm. and i really tipped some of my nurses off yes you did oh my goodness it was brilliant i one nurse, she did not like God at all. So I just told her the entire Bible from like Genesis <laughs> to Revelation, the entire story. But it was like the kids, the kids, but she's like Joseph and Mary and then Abraham and the Moses and all of that.
0: That's right. Did, um, yeah.
1: But I was also blessed with a Christian physiotherapist, Helen, um, who just made my hospital stay that much easier. Mm. Um, but anyway, I was on the sedation a lot, so I couldn't remember much. I remember I didn't eat a lot. I just survived off of milkshakes. That's and right, yes. blowing bubbles.
0: Blowing bubbles. In the milkshakes. In the milkshakes.
1: And somewhere we have a video or a picture of me doing that. I wasn't quite with it. No. Um, but I also had physio, and that's where Helen came in. Good old Helen, she put up with a lot. Um, and a part of that was that um, I was given a brace for my right leg and physio to try and get it to straighten out and be straight again so I can move it and stuff. But halfway through the third week... No, not even halfway through the third week, I think towards the end of the second week, Mm. the doctors came into mum and dad and said, we have realised what your daughter has, and it's called osteomyelitis. Um, At the time, I was diagnosed with osteomyelitis. Only three kids in the UK had ever contracted it. That's right. And I was one of those unlucky winners.
0: You could say you'd won the lottery in a way, couldn't you? No. There, there was that, that that chance of you getting yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Well, I picked it up from Great Ormond Street mm. in London, where we'd been going back and forth for a lot of medical appointments. But anyway, they come in and say, this is what it is. It is incredibly serious. She shouldn't even be on the children's ward. Mm. So I was immediately moved to isolation. That's right. Um, to an ISO ward where I had my own room and everything. And they also realized at the same time that the other girl on the ward who had the same thing was, again, diagnosed with the same thing. Um, so, yeah, we both had osteomyelitis. Um, I had it in my right leg, and she had it in her hip area, Yeah, I think. Yeah, I believe it was the hip, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I was put into um, isolation, whereas you could have one family member at a time, and it just like that. Yeah. And very little visitors. I think I only had one visitor, aside from my family. Um, and dad was living with me, literally living with me in hospital on the floor, surviving off my not so eaten food and costa from downstairs.
0: That's right. Yeah. Hospital food.
1: Mm Oh, gives me shivers even today. Um, and then towards the middle of what would have been the third week in hospital for me, the doctors came back and they said it's grown back in her right leg. And we need to take her down for operation now if you want her to live, basically. Mm. I mean, it's grown back worse than before. And an operation of this sort is a very messy operation. It's a very, um, it's not like a clean up, one that can get infected and, you know, could spread stuff around. So they wanted it at the end of the day, um, when there were no other surgeries planned, so nothing else would get contaminated. And at this time, mum and to my two brothers at the time. Yeah, just two. Noah, um, the oldest, and then Oscar. Ula wasn't around yet. Um, I think Oscar was four at this time.
0: Yeah, yeah he wasn't too far off. I was, yeah,
1: I was eight. Um, they were at home, and they'd started this prayer vigil my entire time in hospital, where they would pray every hour, on the hour, no matter what the hour. So even if it was like midnight, if it went off, they'd get up and they'd pray for me. Um And my parents had a lot of contact with Andrew Womack Ministries prayer line and Kent Copeland Ministries in the Mm -hmm. prayer line. And they'd be constantly ringing and speaking, getting prayer for me over that. And then dad rang up mum and said, this is what the doctors have said. This is what the doctors want. And mum got to praying and God said, I always find it so fascinating. The doctors said three things would happen. I'd die, lose my leg or at the very least have to learn to walk again. And God gave mum three words to counter those three Mm. diagnoses from the doctors. And God said, no more surgery. No more? Just simple as that, no more surgery. And I think I I can still remember the day, the time when dad took the doctors outside of my hospital room. I can still remember the room very clearly. And there was a conversation going on outside. And I'm now told that dad said to the doctors, not tonight, no more surgery, not tonight. Mm. They were not happy because obviously it was a messy surgery. So they're like, okay, we'll take bloods now and stuff, but we'll book her in first thing tomorrow morning. Mm. So they took bloods and I was not in a good state. No. No, it was very, very sick little girl laying there in the bed. I don't think I was even with it, couldn't move anything. It was bad. Um, but the, the doctors decided to leave it until the morning. Um, and overnight... Uh, God did only what God can do. Yes, he did. And the next morning, um, the doctors came in like, okay, I'm going to take more blood and get rid of surgery. And they didn't because ill, sick Aria was jumping up and down on her bed, looking at the nurse's station's camera, Cameron. camera,
0: camera. <laughs> And, and r-
1: singing, and I was singing, I was pulling faces at the camera and I was singing, I'm a survivor, I'm going to make it, not going to give up, keep on surviving, and i was right. sticking out my tongue at the same time. Yes. I can even remember what I was wearing. It was a pink and dark purple stripy shirt that mm. Uncle Tim from America, no, Lily from America had Lily sent from me. from
0: America, yeah, that's right.
1: Oh, I remember that. And the doctors came in, and they were like, what? So they took some more bloods, and then they left. About an hour later, they sent in a duty doctor, not mm. even a fully fledged doctor. They'd been looking after me, a trainee, and um they looked they they had both sets of bloods, the bloods from the night before, and the bloods from that morning, and they came in and they were like, this doesn't this doesn't match. This doesn't add up. Um, she's fine. You can go home. Mm. And I was discharged. and then a week later, I had to go back in for a checkup. And Charlie was the name of the girl, that's it, Charlie, who had the upper other, who had osteomyelitis as well at the same time. And we came in for our checkups the same day and Charlie came on on crutches. Um, But Mm -hmm. us us Christians know and believe that when God does a job, he does it to full extent. Mm -hmm. Um, I went in dancing. You I went did. in spinning around and the doctors didn't know what they were doing or what I was doing or who I, what anything was really. And they were just like, they just put it down to a miracle basically. Yes, and I did, gained yeah. the nickname, um, miracle girl yes. in the hospital on that ward. It was, there comes the miracle girl. Cause yeah. I defied all odds in the most miraculous way. And two weeks later, I was back to my dance training mm-hmm. and, oh, man, f- people often ask, like, did it hurt? And I remember, like, the pain of the first day when I went home. But I can't remember the pain really of anywhere else. I just remember that not dancing had never been an option for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd never seen myself not dancing. I'd always seen myself dancing and doing Mm. it and just knowing that he was there with me and I think that time just it birthed such a steadfast sense of hope in every situation in my life Mm. and like a steadfast knowing that no matter what happens it's going to be okay Mm. Um, but yeah Noah alluded to earlier um, something that I was working on currently
0: oh yes well we'll get to that in a minute but let's just stick to the testimony for a moment you know because you were known as the miracle girl on the ward for well not on the ward throughout the whole hospital <laughs> there wasn't you know everybody had heard of this um, you were known as that person for a good couple of months after that weren't you
1: well yeah I'd go, keep going back for checkups because they would keep like oh this is going to come back and stuff but no yeah.
0: they, they were well, that yeah you remind me of that actually the doctors were saying well it could grow back it could grow back we need to keep, keep an eye on it keep an eye on it and they would They kept an eye on it. They kept a really, really good eye on it, you know, and it did never come back and and they couldn't explain it. And I remember the final checkup with the doctor, he said, look, I cannot explain how it disappeared and I cannot explain how it hasn't come back, but it hasn't. And you're completely free from this infection. And it was from that day forward that the, the hotel, hotel, the hospital,
1: <laughs> I the, ho- the, hotel.
0: the hospital <laughs> said, basically, we're done. There's nothing more we can do. Don't bother coming back for a checkup. I never did. Because it's not coming back. Um, so an amazing, amazing testimony. And there's cool. something I want to see on the back of that in a minute. But Should I want to mean. ask you a question. Mm. Um, if there's anyone going through a situation right now where it looks like their dream may be taken away from them, or maybe they're in hospital listening to this, or they know a loved one in hospital, What would you say to encourage them and any wisdom that you would give them in that, in that situation in their life right now?
1: I think if I was to give you any encouragement, it would be don't give up hope. Mm -hmm. Don't lose sight of your dreams. Don't focus on the now. Don't focus on the pain you're feeling because remember... It doesn't last forever, mm. and also something that we did as a family when I was in hospital is my parents would be praying and stuff. But not only would they be praying, it was that my dad would constantly have the healing power of God scriptures going mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. in in headphones. So I'd constantly listen to it. That's so right. you know what? Not only was it my parents, my family's faith that was building to the place where they could believe God for the miracle. Mm. It was also my personal faith. Mm. And no matter how old whoever it is that's going through something in hospital is, they still have the opportunity and the faith to believe for themselves and to stand on that hope. And even if you're not in hospital and you're just losing hope or it just feels like dreams are slipping away from you, there's a saying I like and it goes... It's never too late until you no longer need it, which means it doesn't matter how late it gets. You can still grab hold of that word. You can still Mm. start to build yourself up to start to plant the seeds ready for your harvest. The only time it's ever too late is when the time is gone and you don't need it anymore Mm. or your dream is done and you don't want it anymore. Yeah. So never give up hope, never give up chasing, no matter how small insignificant it insignificant is. And remember, when I was in hospital, I was an eight-year-old with a dream.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And God cared about my dream. God cared about the aspirations and the desires of my heart. And because I lined myself up with him and his character, he and his amazing love, as always, like he says in the Bible, I am willing be cleansed. Mm-hmm. He healed me, and he cares about your dreams, no matter how small or insignificant they are. And actually, one dream I specifically wanted was to always dance en pointe. And for those who know the classical terms, you know those like funky point shoes, where you literally stand on your toes in ballet. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: always wanted to dance in those. And there goes iPads and calendars going off. And exactly eight years on from coming out of the hospital, in the same year. I danced an entire show en Pointe.
0: That's right. And
1: good. after that hospital experience, my right leg and my right foot became the strongest side of my dance. And I always dance, mainly right now.
0: And there you go. What a testimony. And one of the things that, um, as a family, we did while Ari was in hospital, and she mentioned it earlier, was we had a list of healing scriptures that we would quote. And that we would pray over Ariel every time the hand on the clock reached 12. So on the hour, every hour, Ding. we would, thank you, we would um, <laughs> pray these healing scriptures over Ariel and we would do it faithfully 24 hours a day. So we're not saying like we go to bed at 12 a.m. and we don't do it at 6 a.m. We did it at 1 a.m. We did it at 2 a.m. We did it at 3 a.m. They and lost and so a lot of on. sleep over me. We lost a lot of sleep over her, but on the the hour, every hour we quoted these healing scriptures and we are convinced that it was our tenacity and our persistence in quoting these healing scriptures and, and the promises of God over Ariel that helped that miracle to come forth. You know, so all that to say, if you find yourself in a situation similar to this, it doesn't even have to be health wise. You could be believing God for a financial miracle. You could be believing God for a miracle in your family relationships, whatever miracle you're believing for right now, find promises in the word of God that relate to that, write them down, memorize them, have them on your phone, have them on a sticky note on your fridge, have them somewhere where you can get to them easily and repeatedly pray them over your situation and quote them over your situation and claim those promises as your own. In fact, something that we have just started um, as a family and as a ministry is another podcast called The Zoe Podcast. And what The Zoe Podcast is, is it's a a podcast where we read scriptures on a certain subject or promises on a certain subject. So a couple of weeks ago we released one on healing. So if this is something you are standing for right now, go and find that podcast and listen as the healing promises of God are read over you. And then also on that podcast there is time left for you to quote those scriptures along with us. So go and have a listen to that because that is an amazing resource to have to listen to the word of God being read over you and then to declare the word of God over your life as well. So, just before we wrap up, and I have alluded. And just before
1: you move on, just something that like I was reminded of, a verse that helped me during that time. And a verse that was a major thing for my entire life is Hebrews 4.12. And in the New Living Translation, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Hmm. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Hmm. And I love that between the joint and the marrow. Because a deep bone infection was a problem in the bone, in the marrow of my bone. Mm. And the word of God, it cuts right between it, defining what it should be and what it should not be.
0: Absolutely right. Powerful, powerful scripture. Um, Right. So Mm. just before we wrap up the episode, (laughs) I alluded to something that Ariel is working on earlier um, right now. And by the time you hear this uh, this podcast, she would have been quite in the thick of getting it set up. And I believe this is a vision that's particularly come from her time in hospital, or at least that plays a huge part in it. So in the last 30 seconds here, explain to us about your vision, what it is, and how people can be praying for you as you venture into saying this up?
1: Okay, so the vision that God gave me for my life, um, whether it starts this year, next year, or whenever he wants it to play out, but I'm starting to get it ready now, so when it's ready, mm. you can hit the ground running. It's called the Wildflower Center. And I named it the Wildflower Center because wildflowers, even though they may not be cultivated in specialized um, botanical gardens, they're exposed to elements, but they are stronger for it. And they are also still some of the most beautiful flowers out there. Mm. And they still hold great worth and are very sought after in um, occasions and in floristry. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're beautiful, even though they've been against it all. And the Wildflower Center is a place, it's basically a rehab and retreat center, where people, no matter what, whether it's mental, physical, emotion, they can just come and learn to heal physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, outside of the walls of a hospital, outside of the walls of medical circumstances and diagnoses and everything like that, where they can fall in love with God and nature again, where Mm -hmm. they can find life and love in the simplicity of using the arts to heal them, using creativity, using animals, just being around nature and God's creation, basically where they're learning to let the light back into their lives.
0: Absolutely awesome. So please be praying for Aria as she ventures into getting that set up and following the vision that God has given her on that. It is awesome, awesome, awesome. So... Here we are at the end of another amazing podcast. Thank you guys so, so much for joining us. Listen, if you are new to um, us as the Crick family or our ministry, you can find out more about us at uk, And also, Ariel is a self-published Author, you can find all of her books on Amazon, and she has written a particular book about her testimony that goes into great detail about this. It's all based in a, a in a fictional world, but it's, well, it's in
1: it's in America, but it's a fictional character that I gave my story.
0: Yeah, but it go, it goes into great detail about her testimony and explains it in this in this beautiful story. It's called the Rosetta Stone. So if you search the Rosetta Stone by Ariel Lily Crick. On Amazon, you will find that book there. And I would encourage you to read it because it's a big book, so you're going to need a big big bucket of popcorn. But Um, you will absolutely love it. The
1: ability to write is a testimony for another time.
0: The ability to write is a testimony for another time. Absolutely. So... Here we are. End of the episode. Thank you so, so much for joining us again. And please subscribe. Make sure you don't miss out on any new episodes. We would love to have you on the journey with us. Go and check out the Zoe podcast so you can hear the promises of God being read over you and so that you can declare them over your life at the same time as well. And until next time, it is a big goodbye from me and a big goodbye from
1: me. Bye bye.
0: Goodbye. See you all next time. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed being in the Crick House with us. Did you know that as a family, we are full-time missionaries and we rely on donations from people like you to meet our daily living costs? If you would like to support this podcast and our family by giving a one-time or monthly gift, please visit our website at www.manatheatrecompany.uk forward slash donate. Thank you so much and see you next time.